Jesus, thank you so much for Wayne. Um, thank you so much for what you've been speaking to him about this week. And I just pray that as he speaks, we'll hear you, that we'll hear what you're saying to us as a community, as individuals, that you just encourage us, that you challenge us, and that you would bless us, I pray. Fill him with your spirit now. Amen. Amen. Sorry, let's just transition. Not by doing that. Good morning again. My name's Wayne. Uh, sure you will do that. Um, uh, uh, I'd like to start with a bit of an experiment, if I might. So we're going to have some photos that come up on the screen in just a moment. Uh, in your heads, if you're feeling really brave, you might want to shout them out. Uh, in your heads, or shout them out if you want to, um, just have a look at the pictures of the people uh, or the characters, and in one or two words, think about how you would describe them. Okay? So, first up. We have got, hopefully, is it coming? Is it coming? Otherwise, I'll, ah, yes, hooray, we've got Superman. How would you describe Superman in one or two words, maybe in your head? I'm not going to give you very long on these. We're just going to kind of go through them quite quickly. Uh, so, Superman, one or two words. And next, who have we got? So we've got Homer Simpson, slightly different character. Um, I imagine you might have a different word to describe uh, Homer than you did to Superman. How about who's up next? Don't know who he is, but you might have something to say about what you think he might be like. Next person. Oh, we jumped out, it doesn't matter too much. And here we go, here's a vicar. How might you describe her, do you think? And the next one, Kay Middleton. Okay, next one. Harry, interesting. Uh, imagining there might be some alternate words coming up there between Kate and Harry, potentially. Uh, have we got any more? We do. How might you describe this person, do you think? Have we got one more? Ah, same person. Would you describe her in the same way that you described her the first time you saw her? Research shows that people make a first impression of somebody within about seven seconds. Experiments by Princeton suggest that people might even make judgments as quickly as one-tenth of a second about people when you first meet them. But what do those judgments say about how we see others, how we see ourselves, and how we see God? Today we're beginning a new sermon series, and that sermon series is continuing to work through Matthew. After a bit of a pause over the last few months, we pick up where we left off, uh, which was at the end of chapter 6. Hopefully I don't just through the stage. Um, over the next few weeks, we'll be exploring all that Jesus teaches us about what it means to live as a disciple of his, as outlined in Matthew chapter 7. It's a really practical chapter. Uh, and over the next few weeks, we'll look at different things like seeking and finding God, discerning the right path from the options that are laid out before us, thinking about how we might distinguish between disciples and those who might be wanting to lead us astray, and thinking about the importance of building our lives on solid foundations of faith in Jesus. Today, though, as is so often the case, the Bible holds up a mirror to our lives. So, spoiler alert, we might be looking at a bit of a challenge, and also we might feel a little bit told off by the end of the sermon this morning. But there is hope 
Don't worry. I wonder whether any of you have been as hooked on the BBC series that's recently hit all the headlines, The Traitors. Uh, Becca and I have loved it. Finn even got involved in the final for it as well. If you haven't seen it, it's amazing. Go and watch it. But it's also making me feel slightly guilty today. It's a reality game show where a group of strangers are competing to be the last ones standing. The twist, and I'm not going to give anything away here in case you haven't watched it and it's on your hit list, uh, is that there is a mix of people within the community that are trying to win. Some of those people are the goodies, who are known as the faithfuls, and there are some baddies as well who are known as the traitors. Whilst the faithfuls are trying to work together to uncover the traitors, the traitors are trying to get rid of all of the faithful so that they are the last ones standing. Obviously, in reality, everybody in the game is playing a character. But I wonder if you could pick out the contestants. If you've seen it, don't shout out the answers, because obviously you already know. But I wonder if, just by looking at this picture, you might be able to work out who the faithful and who the traitors are. I'm not going to give you the answer, don't worry. So if you haven't caught up, you can go and do so. Highly recommend it. But by the end of the show, safe to say, Everybody was really struggling with the role that they were playing. They were crumbling under the pressure of having to constantly judge one another. The traitors trying to judge who should die next. The faith faithfuls judging who the most likely traitors were. It often got emotional. It very often got confrontational. And by the end, it was pretty explosive. It made amazing TV. But on reflection, it points to a real issue within contemporary culture, and one which Jesus has something very specific to say. In fact, he has quite a lot of things to say about it. On one such occasion, it is to be found at the beginning of Matthew 7, where we pick up our sermon series. If you have a Bible with you, oh, it even landed in the right place. Or oh, Freddie found it for me. Thank you, Freddie. Uh, which is probably more likely, to be fair. If you've got your Bibles with you, why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 7, and we're starting at verse 1 this morning. The words are also on the screen behind me as well, if you don't. So, Matthew 7 from verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. As I say, maybe holding a mirror up. I wonder how long it took you to come up with the words when each of those people that I showed you at the beginning popped up on the screen. And I wonder what sort of words you instinctively came up with. I don't need to know. But I can imagine for some of the characters, or for some of the people that you saw, at least, the words would have been less than positive and less than encouraging. I wonder if on the last person that we saw, 
you changed your mind when you saw the second picture. Her name is Nadia Boltz-Weber, if you don't know who she is. And while she has had a very colourful past and continues to be controversial, she is now a Lutheran pastor in America. She's actively pursuing a life of discipleship to Jesus, both for herself and for those around her. But I wonder whether you got that when you first saw that picture of her. So, let's pause briefly and reflect on how often our judgments prove to be ill-founded. As we said in the uh, opening stats, it takes something like seven seconds or even less to form a judgment on somebody. But is that judgment always right? It's so easy to look at someone or a situation, either close up or from afar, knowing sometimes very, very, very little about what's going on for them, where they're coming from, what their experience is, and make a judgment about that person or that situation. So often we only know part of the story, part of the motivation that leads them to making the decisions that they lead. Or we make a judgment based on how somebody looks. And quite often, we get it wrong. And when we get it wrong, we cause damage and we cause hurt. As author and youth pastor Courtney C. Stevens reflects, when you meet Noah after the flood, you think, wow, what a brave, visionary, faith-filled man. When you meet him before, you think, oh my goodness, what a nutter. Perspective and timing matter. Sometimes you have to accept that you might not be able to see the full truth from where you stand. So, we need only take a cursory look at the culture of the day and the recent news reports to see how damaging and judgmental behavior can be to our relationships, to the individuals around us, and also to ourselves. There's just a few different examples here. Maybe Harry and Meghan, maybe Piers Morgan, maybe the Black Lives Matter campaign, the conflict in Russia um, that uh, is being inflicted on the Ukraine, the refugee crisis and how we as a country respond as we scroll through our Instagram feeds or we walk into a meeting with certain people. I could go on and on and on. We are constantly making judgment on people. Let's focus a little bit on social media. Social media and immediate access to the news all of the time in our pockets constantly encourages us, I think, to develop a judgmental response. It doesn't suggest that we take time and we reflect. It's immediate and therefore it consolidates that, that sense of building an immediate response to something. So particularly when there's a screen between us, takes the focus off the reality of that person or that situation. And it allows us to put a barrier, physical and um, emotional, between us and that person or that situation. And it so often, I think, leads to us as individuals responding much more harshly than if the person was stood immediately in front of us. We know, don't we, that Bullying and the risk of suicide is so much more prevalent and quite so often that is put down to the immediacy 
um, and the rise of social media and mobile devices, 24-7 access into the lives of those around us. Jesus, in the passage that we read earlier, clearly doesn't see hypocritical, unfounded, or unfairly harsh behavior as something that we should be striving for, both because it impacts ourselves, but it also impacts the other party on the receiving end of our judgment, too. We've addressed it happens all the time. It happens locally, nationally, internationally. It happens to people we see in our day-to-day -day lives. It happens to people that we see on the TV. Uh, it happens to those people that we have no idea what's going on for them. But what we do know is that in almost all circumstances, when we're harshly critical of somebody, it generally leads to conflict, division, and misunderstanding. But Jesus makes it clear that not only when we judge others are we judging them, we're also having an impact on our own selves and how we see ourselves and how we see God too. When we judge people, we're usually making very big, almost always unfounded declarations that we know best, or at least that we're better than the person that we are projecting our judgments on. What it doesn't suggest is that we're recognizing that we are equally fallen, equally damaged, equally as likely to mess it up and to get it wrong, albeit maybe in a different way. It definitely doesn't say, I might be wrong and I'm willing to learn from you. If anything, it has a bigger impact on ourselves than it does on the person that we are judging. It leads to a skewed view of ourselves in our own heads. What it effectively says is that we are better. We are better than the person. We're better than the situation. And quite often, maybe, it even goes as far as saying we are better than God. Our passage relies heavily on the focuses that challenge hypocritical nature of judgment. How can we judge others when we ourselves fall short? In saying in verse 5, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brothers, it's not pulling any punches. It leaves us with no doubt that God does not appreciate his disciples being judgmental in this way. Only God is faultless. And therefore, only God is validly able to judge ultimately. Maybe the passage is highlighting our tendency to judge others, to distract the attention away from ourselves and where we get it wrong. Maybe the warning actually is it does us more damage to ourselves by pushing our own sin deeper and deflecting the thinking away from ourselves by pointing out the negative we see in other people. A celebrated German theologian called Bonhoeffer, who you may have heard of, reflects this. Judging others makes us blind, whereas love is illuminating. By judging others, we blind ourselves to our own evil and to the grace which others are just as entitled to as we are. And Kemi Sagunle, a life and relationship coach, unpacks this even further, exploring how a skewed sense of other has a damaging effect on our own ability to love them, to love ourselves, and to love God. 
She says, if you spend time judging and criticizing people, you will not have time to heal from your pain or brokenness. You cannot love yourself when you judge or criticize others who are created in God's image and after his likeness, in which you are also created. Love cannot operate from a space of pain. Love and hurt cannot reside in the same space. Wrongly administered judgment then causes problems for both those who take on the role of the judge and those who are being judged. The judge facing guilt, the judged, sorry, facing guilt, shame, and fear. And for those judging, the distraction away from our own inadequacies, weaknesses, and wrongdoings. In essence, by setting ourselves up as the model of perfection and putting people down, we turn our back on what God is calling us to be as disciples. The only way that we and others can be made perfect is through the sacrificial offering of Jesus in the Eastern narrative. That is where we need to focus. We celebrated the coming of Jesus over Christmas, didn't we, very recently? And now we look forward to the the Easter story, knowing the whole story from this, this perspective, that Jesus grew up. He lived a life modeling what it looks like to be a follower of his. And then he died on the cross as an act of reconciling us to God. Surely then, the least we can do is recognize that it's not just for us. It's for our neighbor. It's for the people that we work with. It's for the people that we hang out with. It's the people that we like. It's for the people that we don't like. And when we recognize that, Surely, we can only view others with love and respect and in a non-judgmental way, extending the same grace Jesus has provided to us, to those around us, who are equally as messed up and damaged. So, I think we can agree, hypocritical, ill-founded, or deflective judgment cannot be seen by God as an attribute he expects from his disciples. I'm pretty confident that you will have heard a preach on this before, but I also am fairly confident that most of you will have heard a preach that concentrates purely on verse 1. Do not judge or you will be judged. Yes, it's clear. We can't avoid it. But we have to recognize that it's part of a wider passage as well. If you stopped at verse 1, there'd be no acknowledgement of the importance of right and wrong, of good and bad, of consequence to behaviors that you choose. Clearly throughout the Bible, there is reference to right and wrong, to good and evil, and to the potential of all of us to be able to make a free choice. What the passage does highlight is is the consequence of judgment and to warn us of how easy it is to judge in the wrong way. Verses 2 to 5, as we've said, make this very clear. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you see, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when all the time there is a plank in your own? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's. We must also acknowledge that our passage doesn't even end there. It goes on to verse 6. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to the pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. 
whatever this random verse 6 means, it suggests that there is an element of discernment, of judgment, that, uh, that is possible. But surely that contradicts everything that we have said before. When we weigh it up in our minds and when we look at the whole of the biblical narrative and we look at the way in which Jesus responds to so many different people in so many different circumstances, I wonder if there is a different way of looking at judgment. We must also recognize that the Bible affirms God as our judge, but in a very different way to the way that we would probably imagine. He's not a dictator who thrives on guilt, shame, or seeking retribution. He is a gracious, loving father who judges our strengths and weaknesses, but counters the role of the judge with being our defender too. We read in Isaiah 32, uh, verse 22, For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. But he will also save us. So if we think about the legal system in the UK, it's like God is the judge stood in the dock, hearing everything against us. But he's also stood next to us as our defense as well. He's judging lovingly and graciously through the lens of Jesus, which allows him to see us as we could be, not as we are. And maybe this then points to another type of judgment, one which as Christians we should be looking to to respond to the call of Jesus in our own lives and to be wanting to see more of his presence here on earth. In Galatians 1 verse 6, we read, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Don't forget, our vision here at Redland is inviting and equipping people to be apprentices of Jesus, being formed by him to be a visible presence of renewal where he has placed us. To be an apprentice is to be taught, and to be taught is to both develop and nurture, yes, the good, but to also accept and to rectify where our possible weaknesses lie. Jesus models this too. He builds people up. He speaks to their strengths, but he also calls out the wrong decisions they make, the ways in which they have a distorted view of themselves or others, or of himself. So whilst we must check the tone of our judgment, surely as a child lovingly learns from a disciplining parent, we must accept that there is a place to call people out for the harm that they are doing to themselves, to others, to God, or to his creation. So, with this in mind, does the Bible give us an insight into an alternative form of judgment? Of course it does. As we've considered earlier, Jesus isn't quiet on this subject. And as I read the passage that I was given for this morning, I was reminded of another occasion where Jesus modeled a very different countercultural way of responding to somebody caught out for doing something they should not have been. And in this approach... Uh, we read in Ephesians 4.29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come from our mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others in according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. In John 8, as another example, we read of Jesus modeling this. 
At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act, uh, in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So now here is a model of dealing with behavior that God has declared sinful that avoids the destructive, critical judgment that we so often see in our lives today. It doesn't curve the subject. It doesn't avoid the issue. There is a clear wrongdoing. The woman should not have cheated on her husband. However, Jesus doesn't criticize. He doesn't point out all her flaws. He doesn't drag her through the mud in an act of retribution. Instead, he is compassionate. He's gentle. He allows the woman to face her own issues, to face the reality of the situation, rather than force an ultimatum on her. Maybe then this is the kind of loving, reframing, compassionate correction that God calls his disciples to engage with for the sake of our own discipleship and for the sake of the discipleships uh, of those people with which we share our journey. As we come into land then, I'd love to pause for just a moment and reflect on some words of John Wesley, who I think, in the, uh, along with the, the story of Jesus and the, the woman that, that was caught out, uh, might help us to think about how this might land in our lives today. He says, we should be rigorous in judging ourselves and gracious in judging others. How can we then, like Jesus, allow ourselves to be open to learning about how we can be better ourselves, to acknowledge where we fall short rather than projecting our issues onto others? And where can we be the voice of gentle, correcting discipline? rather than judgmental, harsh, and abusive behavior? How can we draw a line in the sand, and in doing so, how can we direct people into the loving arms of their Father through Jesus?